You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, Western Australia. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host of The Perth Property Show. Thank you for listening as always. And again, if you're looking to comment, have any questions answered, you can pop over to the Facebook page or website and we'll be able to answer those as quickly as possible. Now, today's topic is a little bit of a conceptual one. We are talking about what the characteristics are of a successful property investor. Now, we're going a bit left field today. I wanted to get Sam Carello in, one of WA's top brokers. He spends a lot of his time in that, let's be frank, in that higher end of the market. Sam, you deal with a lot of the Western Suburbs clients and therefore, I think you have a real... A unique perspective in Western Australia where you get to deal with so many successful property investors or even just successful people who are therefore in that higher up echelon of property ownership. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we do a lot of work out in the Western suburbs with a few of our referral partners out there. Uh, we've got a pretty big client base out that way as well. So you get to meet some some really interesting people, some pretty impressive people as well. So I thought most people aren't thinking of finance broker, right, when it comes to talking about the top end of town, right? And that's not to say that there aren't brokers who are doing very well in business, but you generally maybe think of talking to a business owner or whatnot. But I I thought you have such a unique perspective because it's, it's like, a, I guess, same as an accountant in that sort of perspective where you've got that very niche clientele who are doing quite well and you obviously get to see as a broker does, their living expenses, their assets, their income. And we're not going to, you know, name names today, but surely there's so many trends and characteristics you will identify every day in being able to work with these clients who I guess would have also taught you a few lessons in life. Yeah. Like I said, some pretty uh, impressive people we get to deal with. So, I guess in terms of characteristics that a lot of them will have, they're all, they're all very driven, quite analytical, especially when it comes to property investment. No emotion whatsoever. If they can't get the property for the price they want, uh, which they've obviously run their numbers on, that's fine. It's like a bus. Move on. Next one will come along in, in 15 minutes. So. I, think that, I, I think we could nearly finish the podcast here. Right? <laughs> that is the most important factor, I think, in any investment, not just in property. If you can't buy it for the price that you've determined you need to buy it for to make the profit that you think is worth your time and your risk, you move on. Correct. The person who needs a transaction the least is generally the the one that wins that transaction. The guys who have four, five, six properties and have have turned them for for good profits, that's exactly right. They've always got their eye on the market. So they're always, always looking, always researching. They know what things are worth. And if there's an opportunity there, they'll take it. But like I said, if that price is too high, See you later. Next next one on the line. One thing that I think is interesting that we spoke about before pressing play this morning is they're not all property developers, are they? They're, and most of them aren't. They're, yeah. they're, most, they're professions in many other fields that simply have an interest or an inkling towards investing their hard-earned savings in this way. Yeah, I'd say what they have in common is they're all very successful in what they do whether that be an engineer, a shop owner, a real estate agent, whatever whatever they do, they are all, all successful and all have that drive. Property for them, it's about turning a profit. Obviously, everyone loves living in a nice home and they've all got very nice homes. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that... It's, That's separate, isn't it? Correct, yeah. So, you, where you live is where you live. And then investment, it all, it all comes down to that return. So, you know, I've got clients who... I've got one who's bought four or five 
little $160,000 apartments, you know, central, uh, and he's airbnb them out. Uh, I think proposed long-term weekly rent was about 150 a week. With these Airbnbs, he's making eight $900 a week. And I guess a lot of these more successful property investors, not even being property people themselves, a lot of them, they've built up a team over time that they can trust. And in that team would be yourself, a broker, an accountant, tax advisor, lawyer, real estate agent, yeah. uh, property managers. I guess in a lot of ways, if you can trust your experts to that level, you therefore can spend your hard-earned time with the things that you enjoy like your family and you might not ever even go out to these investment properties. Correct. That's right. If you've got a good uh, a good team around you who you can trust, yeah, I mean, last thing you want to be doing is mowing the lawn at your investment property down the road. You want to be the reason you'd want to make money is so you do have that better lifestyle and you can spend time on the important things, which is for me, it's family and things like that, uh, as it is for for most our clients. Isn't it interesting though? And look, I'm a big believer in sweat equity at the start and building up that foundation from the start. So don't get me wrong, I'm not here to say that it's not worth it. But at some point in time, as you get to a point of success in investment, whether that's shares or property, you want to be able to leave it to the experts. You don't want to be mowing the lawn on Saturday because it builds up over time. You've got a number of investment properties and all you're doing is thinking about managing them. Or if you've got stocks, you're sitting on Comsec all day, clicking refresh. You, you you farm that out to your stockbroker, right? Correct. At some point in time, when you're when you get to that level of financial stability or freedom, whatever you want to call it, you need to then start cashing in on a lifestyle point of view and leave it to the expert. Correct. Yeah, you got to reduce your, your responsibilities. I mean, that Airbnb example. My client, so four, yeah, four or five properties now. He has someone who, who runs it, so he manages all the bookings. I mean, he, he takes a clip for it, but he runs all the bookings. Uh, he's got a cleaner that goes in and cleans the properties. Everything is just done for him, and all he is doing is just picking up the cash on the side. What we need to do from this point now is wind it back a little bit and figure out how those guys got to where they are today. And one thing that you mentioned to me, which I think is really poignant, that we maybe are losing a lot in society these days with technology, is they're all very active in their local community. They really thrive on and enjoy, for the sake of it, the networking and the local sports clubs and the volunteering clubs. And as much as they might seem like distractions to some people, to a lot of them, that's the source of their information, of their wealth, of their networks, their clients. Correct. It's an introduction. I think a good example there is a few of the real estate agents, if they've got kids at local school, some of the very successful ones... They, they keep having just, kids. Yeah, well, that's it. They keep having kids and they keep picking up properties to sell. But, I mean, that's, that's a big one for quite a few of the real estate agents out there. But, I mean, a couple of common characteristics that I would say in, in the successful people that we, we get to deal with is they're, they're all very well driven. They're all hard workers. doesn't just come. They've definitely put in the yards. And, yeah, they have that team around them or, or they have the contacts to be able to not leverage. It's probably not the right word. But if you're a FIFO worker, um, you know, finance might not be your strong suit. So, trust your accountant, trust your, your mortgage broker to to do the right thing and, you know, you, you focus on, on what you want to be doing. Even within technology, there are a number of investment groups on Facebook and meetups that you can join these days where, yeah, if you are in an industry that doesn't really suit those skill sets, you can start to invest in those networks and make friends or even get professional relationships where eventually you start to figure out from your personal skills who are the people that have the competencies that I can trust to really start building that team around me so that when I am making 
200, $250,000 a year as a FIFO worker with a couple of rental properties. I'm not spending all my time home dealing with the maintenance. I never have to worry about it. I'm paying someone 5, 10K a year to manage all these issues for me so that when I am home, whether it's FIFO or a doctor or a lawyer or a business owner, you know, shop owner, when you've gotten to that level, you can actually start to cash in on all that hard work and the risk you've taken and that is the holidays the sunday mornings watching the footy with the kids down the park the barbecues all those things i think it's so easy for us these days to always have our eyes on the prize at whatever income level we're at and whatever success level we're at and just forget to stop and smell the roses and realize why we're doing this and then actually enjoy the fruits of those those labors that's hard work yeah i yeah completely agree i mean also out there these days it is there is that much information it's information overload so you can't decipher it all and that's where you need to rely on the specialists in each field to help you get to where you want to go as a bit of an example of the guys that uh, are on your client base sam what sort of community organizations are they involved in is it rotary is it the local footy team is it the local surf team is it a golf team are the guys who are <laughs> cycling in the lycra every week are they doing yeah. it for the k's or are they doing it uh doing it f- for the networks there's absolutely everything out there some some of the groups they've been a part of yeah like you said local footy team kids footy team cycling groups surf life saving local council members definitely uh, a wide range of i guess of community sports reason they're doing it to be honest i think they just enjoy being around people Yes, you, you do get to meet people and, and they're interesting and you can learn a lot from, from different people with different skill sets. Um, but I think it's just the social side. And then if things happen in that way, those business connections or the hot tips or the referrals to the right sort of people to trust, they naturally come along over the barbecue on a Saturday afternoon anyway. Correct. Yeah, I think people do business with people who they like. If I don't like you, I'm not going to do business with you. <laughs> so. Isn't that interesting, Sam, that from an outside perspective, it can be very easy to think that business at the top end is a very transactional and impersonal situation. But what I find more and more these days, uh, going through meeting new people, in, especially in this industry, and I'm sure you'll understand as you'll see as well, is so many of these people actually spend time together outside of business and business is business but they also they met beforehand and they became friends or through business they then became friends and then sustained that relationship grew that relationship referred those relationships on to other people through those networks from just being a good person and doing the right thing by people so many of those relationships are just human relationships and that's what it comes down to i think you can get pretty far if you're a decent bloke these days just do the right thing that's my motto is just do the right thing for, for everyone and have you meet. something to offer obviously. yeah and obviously yeah you can't just be a good <laughs> bloke you gotta be able to offer something as well people like being around you they like dealing with you naturally the business is going to come from that we're all human beings at whatever income level or social status level that people believe that someone's at the end of the day we're all just people trying to make friends and enjoy their family time and and, and 40 hours a week or, or more in in business that's it and just yeah, treat people with respect I think you you go a long way Sam thanks again for the chat <laughs> interesting one uh, but I, I, different. I yeah but it was worth just talking about that little insight of you into what's going on at that top end of the property purchasing market uh, as well as that success level what it takes to be buying five six seven million dollar houses uh, on a weekly basis 
(laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Trent. Cheers. See ya. Okay, suburb spotlight time. We are talking about a very small suburb in the western parts of town. It is Daglish. And for that conversation, we have Susie Costanzo from Space Realty in. Susie, thank you very much for coming in. Absolute pleasure, Trent. Hey, Susie, this is, one, of, as I said, one of the smallest suburbs in Perth. Can you explain to us uh, on, on a north, south, east, west sort of bounding, where is this place? It's a little tiny suburb. There's only probably, uh, there's a population of 1,200, which doesn't mean 1,200 dwellings, 1,200 people. And it's bounded by Hay Street, Railway Road and Selby Street. So there is 500 actual properties in the suburb, but that includes a lot of apartments. So I guess that means not too many properties selling every year. Well, this past 12 months, 11 properties sold. In past years, there was only two, one or maybe two properties selling. But the the uptake is getting a lot faster and a lot quicker because of its location. And there's, I guess, a bit more density coming in, a few more houses yeah. to sell. The thing that Daglish offers are your 800, 900 square metre blocks. I mean, Subiaco and Shenton Park are just across the railway. Your average block size in Shenton Park is 420. Average block size in Subi is 500, whereas Daglish, is, you're looking at 800, 900 square metres. Why do you think that is? Is it just being protected in a zoning space or is it really just uh, so small that the council hasn't really bothered to look at it? I think that, look, personally, I think probably in, in time past the name may have had something to do with it, that people preferred to live in Subiaco and Shenton Park because the reality is that Daglish offers everything that those sought-after suburbs are in demand. Um, I'd say Daglish is still a pretty sought-after suburb. Well, it's uh, a lot of people don't know where it is. Similarly with <laughs> Jollymont, I'll say I've got a property here. Uh, where's that? It's got its own train station, Shenton College catchment, Jollymont Primary School. It's near the hospitals. It's right there, four minutes from the CBD. Do you think that it could be characterised as a post-war suburb? Uh, are most of the houses in need of some love uh, or are we seeing a lot of renewal coming through? Absolutely. There's a lot of character homes in Daglish, but there's also a lot of ugly 80s homes. Ugly in as much as that's, that was the, the fashion at the time, but they're built really well. Okay. <laughs> if they're built well, are a lot of people just renovating and extending them? Yeah. Some, some, it's a very much a suburb where there's an aged population, people who've been there 30, 40 years, but there's a lot of new couples coming into the suburb now and they are renovating, rendering, you know, your 80s facades and a lot of them are demolishing and building as well. Okay. So you sort of referenced it there as an aging population. Is, is that the demographic of people selling from you? Is people that have been there since the start? Yeah. Single dwelling, single homeowner properties? Absolutely. The problem is that all my owners who've lived there for so many years want to stay in the area, which is perfect for the new subdivision opportunities because of the, the Cliff Sadlier Park, which is in the centre of Daglish. That was actually named after a war veteran. I actually sold the house he lived in on Stubbs Terrace oh, last month. He was decorated in the war for receiving the Victoria Cross. And Henry Daglish, after which the suburb is named, um, was also so the first Labor Premier in, in Western Australia. Well, that's, that's a fantastic piece of information yeah. for you because I'm sitting back thinking, where does that name come from? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so an, a, another Premier. Yes, that's right. You know, but we do, we're very lucky. I mean, Jollymont Primary School, Principal Barbara Ifla, is, she runs a great school, really a community primary school in the city. That's what I like to call it. It still has that family feel. And, of course, Mike Morgan at Shenton College. Everyone wants to go to Shenton College. 
do you therefore have some young families popping in? So if you're selling 70, 80-year-old people's houses, mm-hmm. uh, do you find you've got some up-and-coming executive late 30s, early 40s couples with their young kids getting in for the catchment zones? Absolutely. Um, a lot of people coming into, you know, Shenton Park, Subiaco, Daglish, Jollymont, come from North Perth, Mount Lawley. They're looking to come for either the private schools or the Shenton College for your high school. But also, I'll let you into a little secret, there's a huge medical fraternity in Daglish. I've got a list of people I sell to, surgeons and doctors, and because they want to be close to the hospitals as well. Well, there are a few hospitals around town. When well, you're in Daglish, it's probably one of the closer large block suburbs yeah. connected to all of this that's where I mean most of our hospitals are within a couple of kilometers of yeah Douglas, you've got St John of God you've got the new children's hospital you've got Charlie's so yeah I'm keeping a little list of all the surgeons in fact I sold a property a few months ago to a hip surgeon and I said to him Justin when I need a hip replacement I want to go to the yeah, top no, of the we're list going. <laughs> yeah. well I, I, I think that's probably good to understand because if you're maybe even a developer or someone that a small scale builder, mm. you would rec- be able to recognise that, look, I could probably buy in a land value property here in Daglish and there wouldn't be a shortage of people who could afford some a couple of nice custom luxury side-by-side homes maybe that I could put up in a Oh, absolutely. It, with the, the changing in zoning, there it's a really good opportunity to build a luxury downsizer property. Because again, people from the other, other western suburbs coming off your big blocks, they want somewhere with amenity. And mm-hmm. Daglish offers that, plus beautiful park. So you are close to the hospitals, the train, all that sort of thing. But you're still in a city. So that will lead me into my next question, Susie. It would, it would be about that variation in housing types. When I think straight up to a small number of properties that hasn't had too much rezoning in that time and the blocks are large, I can't imagine there are many options for apartments or flats or units that have come up in the last few decades. No, um, there is a section of Dowglish from Stubbs Terrace down to Troy Terrace where there are existing apartments and old apartment blocks. And obviously they're going to stay um, because you need to, all the owners to, well, a percentage of the owners to agree to sell the whole lot, prime land. Mm. But similarly, like in Mount Street, you know, where, where you've got the old apartment buildings, fabulous location as far as land goes, but then you, you can't sell the whole lots at the same time. Yeah, hopefully with these new strata laws coming in there's a bit more of an opportunity to renew these flats because i would expect that especially in a suburb like daglish there's prime opportunity to be able to come in and just provide so much more amenity especially to the downsizer demographic who don't really want to live in those old flats but still want to stay in the suburb in a smaller opportunity oh absolutely i mean daglish is definitely an evolving suburb my advice is get in now because what it does have to offer as far as being so close to the city 10 minutes to the beach as well there's a lot of opportunity there let's talk about price points how cheap can i buy in daglish if i am coming on a budget can I get in for anywhere close to the median house price or is it really a prime? Well, apartment-wise, you pick up an apartment for two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand, 250000 uh, an old apartment. Um, you can pick up a new apartment, given the apartment market at the present time, for four fifty. As far as house goes, uh, housing goes, the median price is just over the mill. Which is, so a big jump. Uh, yeah, a big jump, but uh, certainly achievable considering the cost of median pricing in other western suburbs. And there's other western suburbs with very much higher medium pricing but doesn't offer train station amenity walking distance to shops uh, Rockaby Road's only a five minute walk from Daglish we've got the new development at uh, Montario Quarter 
uh, where the old Shenton rehab site was. So it's very much, you know, as I said, an evolving suburb. That walk score is improving. Oh, absolutely. So if I'm looking to come in for that young family lifestyle, am I paying seven figures? For a character home, Daglish, uh, you're probably looking about 1.3, 1.4 mil mark. Nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> no. <laughs> And finally, Susie, how much, <laughs> how expensive can it get? What are we talking oh, here? That's it. High ones. Oh wow. Okay. Mm. So this is just fully appointed house. Block is st- still livable. These are like, those opportunities where you've got the those hip surgeons and doctors and whatnot coming in mm. for that younger hip but obviously more well-off lifestyle. And interestingly, um, a few years ago, I actually had um, was talking to a couple and they said they want a big home on a small block. And at that time, I said, why? And they said, well, Susie, you know, we both work. We've got kids. When we're not working, we're taking the kids to sport. We're running them around. When we're home, we don't want to be in the garden. And that is, that's now, a few years later, everyone wants that. Mm. Uh, everyone's time poor these days. We've touched on development opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get a bit more specific. So where are they? And what are they? There are a number of blocks in Daglish which are large enough to be subdivided, but there is also subdivision opportunities that have not been approved yet, but, you know, along the railway line, similarly with Shenton Park and Subiaco along the railway line. So coming through with this rezoning that's hitting the newspapers every second week, Mm -hmm. part of that includes the Daglish uh, structure plan. Yeah, yeah. I think, look, the way that it needs to happen in these areas especially in the western suburbs where it's an aging population they need downsizer opportunities is if you're going to do the rezoning it should be at higher density next to your main arteries your train stations and nowhere else mm. Mm. not throughout the whole suburb but no. very specific locations where people don't need to have two cars anymore uh, they can pop straight onto the train or the bus or walk five minutes into supermarkets yeah, and I think um, I think there is a lot of uh, furore with regard to the rezoning, but it's a it's a slow thing, it's a progress thing, and I think if it's done mindfully and builds are done respectfully, it doesn't have to change the character of a suburb. So most properties right now, where there is subdivision potential, it's just twenty one property into two. Is it a house behind a house? Is it a side by side? Is it a mixture of both? What mixture are you seeing? Mixture of both. You know, um, it's preferable to, to have side by side from from a sale point of view. But then to have one behind the other, I sold uh, one in, in Nickel Street in Daglish um, at the beginning of the year. And some people do prefer uh, the privacy of having one behind. You know, at the end of the day, uh, with regard to this particular suburb, it's all about the location and its proximity to amenity. Are there premium streets in Daglish? Uh, obviously part front so you're looking at Northmore Street Woolnose Street but then Willsmore Street's also quite sought after because it's elevated so from the backyards of Willsmore Street you have park views okay any views Mm. of the city at all at any part of Douglas if you have a second story yes you do have views of the city but that obviously for new builds there are you know a few houses that are double story currently there's one on the corner of Willsmore and Woolno, and they do have city views. So, okay. yeah. It's about picking your location. That's correct. All right, final question here. It's the median house price question, as always. Susie Costanzo, what is it? Median house price just over the mill, or to be exact, a million and twelve. And if you had a million and twelve dollars in your handbag this morning, what would you be going out and buying in Douglas with that cash? I'd be buying a block uh, to build. 
Just a straight build. Straight build. And what will you and be building? Um, and I would be building a four by two with the master and ensuite on the ground floor, which would cater to either a downsizer or a family. Okay. Wow. So really, mm. what you were saying before is that smaller living, but building up, and I'm guessing a very high spec. Yes. Susie Costanzo, thank you very mm-hmm. much for coming in chatting Daglish. Mm-hmm. It's uh, for such a small suburb. There's so much information to get through. Oh, Let's absolutely. hope there's uh, some, I guess, some more renewal and more volume opportunities coming through there, and and gives people, I guess, an understanding of uh, just a different option to the usual Subiaco, Shenton Park chatter, and somewhere like Daglish or even you know Jollymont down the road as well. Mm-hmm. These places do have a place for that family living in the western suburbs. Absolutely. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!